Let us just pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, we just thank you for how much you love us that you would send your son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, we don't need to ask you to come here because we know you already are here. We don't need to ask your spirit to meet with us because your spirit is already here as well. But Father, our hearts need to be open to you. Our ears need to be open to you. Father, as we look into your word, I pray that you give us understanding. I pray, Father, that it won't be my words, but it'll be your words. That it be nothing, that I have nothing to say this morning, Father. You have everything to say. And we just thank you, we praise you for all you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Over time, we discover that church life is really the rhythm of our life. We learn the church calendar, ministry events, and all the appropriate behavior that we must do in these different um, ministries. All the right things to participate within a certain local spiritual community as we think of the church. But it's not just good deeds that matter. Our words matter too. Our speech is primary way in which we encourage others and to affirm them in our faith. You know, so many times in life we can think of our, our lives and we can always remember the times that somebody discouraged us. They said hurtful words to us. Things that weren't edifying to us. But it's hard to remember when people actually encouraged us. Or when's the last time you encouraged somebody? You know, I don't want to take away from um, Brother Craig, but as we know, the tongue is a very powerful tool, as we see later on in James. It's a tool that James took a whole chapter just to, con- to talk about this one thing in our mouths, the tongue. Because our speech reveals so much about us. You know, as you see in the bulletin, the Bahamians, we say, and, I, and I, I got corrected because it ain't mouth. We don't say that proper. But mouth could say anything. You know, mouth could say anything. But that's not true when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The words that come out of our mouth will reveal our hearts. The words that we say will encourage or discourage somebody. But words do more than just build up or tear down. They reveal our hearts. To a certain degree, they tell our whole story, revealing the deepest thoughts of our hearts. In Matthew 15, we find the religious leaders on display. We find this so much in display because they are trying to question Jesus' disciples. They are trying to find fault. They are trying to find Jesus in a trap. And we see this all through Scripture where they just are trying to find a little fault so that they could question Jesus about it. Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them the truth about their words. And he uses their words and questions to teach a deeper meaning about purity, worship, and relationship. It all centers on what comes out of our mouths. In the United States, experts can determine where they are from by just 122 words because of their dialect. From the Harvard Dialect Survey contained information and details about the regional dialect variations in the United States, depending on upon how they pronounce just 122 different words. Different words like this. How do you pronounce rote or route? Root, see? Root, route. That's what I'm saying. Different people, you know, if you go up north, you know how New York people talk. You could always find them. And you know how southern people talk. What's the generic term for a sweetened carbonated drink? Pop, soda. You know, for us Bahamians, we just say Coke. Everything is Coke. You know, Sprite is Coke. What? Give me that white Coke. You know, I don't know. 
And what do you call the, the thing that you drink from at water school? They, I never, never knew. I always know just water fountain. But in the United States, they use bubbler. Who's that bubbler? Wow, see that? That's, that's, yeah. Water fountain or drinking fountain. But this is not just in the United States. This goes for the Bahamas. If you travel anywhere around the Bahamas, you can tell people from Eleuthera. You can tell people from Abaco. You can tell people from Nassau, or what the island people like to call us, town or city, you know. And we have these Bahamian words that are just generic. You know, sorry, I know we have a Dalbinus man here, but everything is pampas. It ain't Huggies. It's just pampas. Everything is pampas. So, you know, I'm trying to put in, I, I think, um, huh? Pampas, um, Dalbinus carry, Dalbinus, Huggies. Oh, anyway, but that's a generic thing. You know, when I lived in Eleuthera, someone from Rock Sound, and as close as Rock Sound, you could tell the different way that they serve. And I know we have Brother David here, so he knows the Rock Sound language. But you have someone from Rock Sound and someone just a little south of Topham Bay where their dialect is completely different. You could just tell. You know, and uh, of course, us Nassau people, we can't hide. You know, they make fun of us, we make fun of them, and that's just how it goes. You can tell by the way people speak where they are from. And this is no different than our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, our words are very powerful. Our words reveal everything about us. The way we speak, it reveals whether we are a child of his or not. And that's what Jesus is going to look at this morning as we look at his word in Matthew 15. You know, our, our words reveal much more than where we're from. Jesus understood this long before any regional dialect studies came out. He knew exactly how, how the, the tongue is so powerful, how our speech is so powerful, how words are so powerful. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. And I'm going to read through the whole passage and then we're going to break it down. But we need to remember exactly, understand what is going on here. Here it is, Jesus is, his disciples have come and, and they are getting ready to, you know, eat and have a meal with, with these people and they're talking about having a washing, a ceremonial washing. They are more concerned about the tradition rather than what God has to say. And it says in Matthew 15, 1 to 20, it said, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not to honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made a void of the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did, Isaiah prophesied you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines of the commandments of men. He called the people to him and said, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. Let their blind guides. And it is the blind, 
blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Our first point we want to look at this morning is our words reveal our priorities in our world. Again, as we see in verses 51 to 6, it says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus and Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? But God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not to honor his father, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You see, by the time Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders were aware of what Jesus was doing. We know that because a group of them arrived in Galilee to inspect and to question Jesus and his disciples and his ministry. Essentially, their accusation against Jesus' disciples revolved around the elders' tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before Eden. This was an elaborate ritual involving cups, pitchers, and kettles, etc., but Jesus had some questions of his own. He knew that the religious leaders were continually breaking a direct command of God, honoring your father and mother. And their question words looked religious. Their intentions seemed sincere on the surface, but it was apparent that they valued their own tradition more than command of God. And for us to really understand this, I want us to just, as we think about this whole washing, I just want to look at the whole concept. As we think of the whole concept of clean and unclean, went back to the old Testament law. The uncleanness that the disciples were charged with was a ceremonial matter. If a person touched a dead body, and I, I would say this, if a person touched a dead body, I would want them to wash their hands too. But if a person touched a dead body, for instance, or ate certain things, he contracted a ceremonial defilement. He was not fit to worship God. Before he could approach God, the Lord required him to go through this whole cleaning ritual. The Jews stretched the law of God and made it so that before any Jew could eat, you must go through this whole washing as, we're not just talking about you go to the bathroom and wash your hands and, you know, as one, but we're talking about washing straight up to almost past the elbow, just a whole washing. That's what they had to do before they could take part. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were always concerned of the outside and the traditions that they forgot to take care of the inside. Jesus turns their words against them, and as they were concerned about what the disciples were doing by not washing their hands, Jesus warns them they avoided the word of God because they had changed the law about taking care of their parents. This allowed the individual to claim Corban, which is a Hebrew term that means given to God. This allowed all claim, if they had a dispute with their parents, to claim Corban. This sounds good to give everything to God, but Jesus is saying that this cancels out any command to honor your father and mother. You see, the religious leaders, they were so concerned about tradition, they were so concerned about the commands that they forgot one thing. They forgot God. You see, too many times I think this is what happens to us today in the church. I think sometimes we get so caught up in just coming to church. We get caught up in doing the, the rituals. We get caught up in doing the Christmas programs. We get caught into doing all the different things that we forget the person that we really come here to worship. And that's God himself. 
You know, if I had to ask this morning, why are you here? A lot of you would probably say, I'm here because this is what we do on a Sunday. This is what we always do. This is our tradition. This is what we always do. You know, how many of us would actually say that we are here for God to worship Him? You see, this isn't the only place that we're supposed to worship God. Our worship should be carried out of here. And this is what the religious leaders had the problem as well. Because they were so concerned about taking care of the outside that they forgot about the inside. They forgot about the heart. He can see right through them, a phony, as we will see in the next couple of verses. So how do we apply this? When we ask critical questions about why we do things in church, we must understand what the motive is behind it. You see, a lot of times we just do things because we do it out of obligation, but we forget about who we are worshiping. Think about the ministries that you're involved in. Why do you do what you do? Do you just do the things you do because that's what's required of you? That's what you're supposed to do? Um, you know, one thing with, my, um, with our students, ever since we've had our wave, and the wave was incredible last week, it was a fun time, and if you missed it, I'm sorry, you have to wait till next year. But one thing they always want to know, and they could probably answer this question, when is the, no, not the next one, but they want to know when the lock-in is. The lock-in. If you don't know what a lock-in is, a lock-in is an all-night, you stay up all night and, you know, play games and do different things. And, you know, I'm getting a little bit older right now. You know, I'm not old, but I'm getting a little bit older. And I told them that lock-ins aren't my cup of tea anymore, but I do it because I love them. I don't do it because, yes, I'm looking forward to a lock-in. I'm looking forward to not sleeping for the whole night. No. I don't think nobody's, you know, decided. But I have warned them that this is going to be a lock-in like no other. Because if I got to go home tired, they're going home tired this year. All right? We're going to have a lock-in like no other. But you see, we have to understand, why do we do what we do? Do we just do it because it's always been done this way? And the question is this. If God asks us to do it a different way, are we willing to change? Or are we so stuck in our tradition? Are we so stuck on how we've done it for so long that, you know what, we don't want to get involved in that? Sometimes we listen to tradition before we listen to God himself. We get so caught up in the traditional stuff. You see, before we speak, we must examine our hearts because our words will reveal our priorities. The second point is our words reveal our position in worship. In Matthew 15, 7 and 9, it says this, You hypocrites. What What a strong word that Jesus is calling them. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you that, he, that when he said to them, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, the people were so caught up, and the religion was so caught up in, in their commandments and what they liked, that they forgot about God's commandments. They taught these traditions instead of saying, let's look at the word of God. And I think sometimes we get caught up in this as well. I think sometimes we get caught up in our own tradition and we think, that's the gospel. And we forget to consult the master. We forget to consult his book to find out the truth. You know, we, we, we sometimes say, well, we've done this for this long a time. How could you tell me that it's wrong? Well, it's not me. It's the word of God that tells us it's wrong. And sometimes we get caught up and we don't even want to listen to what God has to say because we get caught up in what 
makes us happy. You see, too many times in church, we hold on traditions of the church than allowing God to hold on to the church. Being a follower of Christ is not just about holding on to rules that will make us think that we are earning God's favor, but being a follower of Christ is about knowing that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, the Pharisees and scribes' hearts were revealed to them by Jesus. He tells them, look, you do all the right things on the outside. You make yourself look right with God, but the problem is you're just giving me lip service. This morning, God isn't interested in lip service, but God is interested in true worshipers for him. You see, we could come to church and we could sing praises, we could raise our hands, we could do everything on the outside. But let me tell you something, this mouth is going to soon reveal what's in the heart. We could only put on a show for so long. We could only fake and, and, and be a phony for so long. That's why Jesus makes it very clear to say, you hypocrites. Because he sees their hearts. He sees right through the phony. And we know what a hypocrite is. We know the whole mask and we know all of that. But that's what we try to do sometimes. We try to put on a mask when we come to church. We try to make everything look all right. But if you sit and talk to that individual, you sit and talk to people, or if you're around them for a little while, a, time, a, period, a period of time, their heart, their heart will be revealed through their words. We will see their priority of worship. We will see who they truly worship. Because you could only put on a show for so long. I wonder sometimes if Jesus looks down to the church today and says the same things to us. These people do the right things on the outside, but their hearts are far from me. And I, and I just always think of, the, to me, the most scariest words of Scripture in Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your workers of lawlessness. What scary words for us to think about. There are many people who are going to stand before God on that day and say, Lord, didn't I go to Calvary Bible Church every Sunday? Didn't I sing in the choir? And you shouldn't be singing in the choir if you don't relate to it with God, I'm sure. But, you know, haven't I done all these things? Haven't I been baptized? Because baptism isn't something that saves us. The genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that saves us. I've done all these things for you. And he's going to say, look, you may have done all those things, but I never knew you. What scary words. What scary thoughts for, for so many of us in the church to think about. Because I think that when, when Jesus, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, when he said these words, there were many people who thought they were on their way to heaven. They thought they had it all together because they did so much. But you know what? It's not for us to do. It's for God to have us. You see, we think we can earn our way to God. We think we can do all the right things. But God isn't interested in just us giving him lip service. He's interested in a genuine relationship with him. He wants us to show our priority. We want us to show us our position in worship. And our position in worship should be directly at his feet all the time. Because I think too many times we just think, well, you know what? I, I give God my five minutes here for my quiet time, my devotions. I give him my hour and a half to come to church. You know, I think too many times we just think that this is, this is what it's about right here. But it's so much more. If the church congregation remains in a constant state of religious activities, and as I think about our, our church calendars that we just know the things that are coming up, we do the things, 
but we're valuing those things more than we value God, what's going to happen? They're going to fail. They're going to eventually fail if we are so focused on the ministry instead of who we are ministering for. You see, we love to see people in ministry. We love to see people, you know, get involved. But the question always has to come back, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing it because we genuinely have a relationship with God and we want to pursue God and we want Him to get all the honor and glory or is it just because we want to look good to other people? You know, sometimes we have to recognize that sometimes our worship is insincere. Insincere worship is fruitless worship. It's in vain. It has no results. You see, if we just come and give lip service, if we not genuinely have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are just giving Him lip service. And when he says, you hypocrites, he's talking to us. Because too many times, that's what we do. We think that this is it right here. This is everything. You know, I want you to think for a second of a marriage. You say you love your wife. Things are not going the way that you plan. But you're not willing to give up or sacrifice anything in that relationship. You know, I, I joked around my wife about a couple of weeks ago when the NFL season was starting. I told her in mercy, I said, all right, this, this is daddy's time. Let me um, just um, sit there, watch some football and, you know. But what about if we're having problems? Am I willing to sacrifice that time to discuss those issues? You see, that's a tradition. You know, Sunday is football day. Saturday is college football day or some other sport. Do we put these things before our relationships with individuals, but also do we put these in the way of our relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, I can't come to church because, you know, pregame shows start at 12 o'clock. I got to be there to watch everything because I'm on a, a fantasy football team and I got to see who's playing to put them in and, you know, I got to know who to sit, who to bench and who to play. You know, is that a real relationship with God? Do we really want to get to know Him more? Do we just put all these things before him. The last point is our words reveal our purity from within. Matthew 15, 10 and 11 and 17 and 20 is the key, the key that we want to look at, but I want to just read them through from 10 to 20. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? You know, I, I love Jesus because Jesus didn't care who he offended. He's like, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. You like it or not. Take it or leave it. You know, if you want to follow me, bring, carry your cross, you know, deny your parents, deny all these people, follow me. Jesus did not care. Then the disciples came and said, Do you know that the disciples were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said to him, Are you also still without understanding? Do you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You see, when we look at this last part and we look at the last two verses, we don't look at these things, we don't think of these things that are coming out of the mouth, but it says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, these are some of the things that defile the body of Christ. These are things that hurt the body of Christ so much. You know, as I think of false witness, they think of slander, gossip. These are the things that come out of our mouths that defiled the whole body. It is here that Jesus takes the opportunity to teach about what really matters. We do not defile ourselves by what we put into our mouths, but rather what comes out of our mouths. You see, the religious leaders were wrong in thinking that keeping their tradition of hand washing kept them spiritually clean. Oh yeah, if I wash my hands, if I do all this, then my insides are clean. But Jesus says no. It doesn't matter about that. He's not concerned about you just washing and doing the traditions of man. No, he's worried about the heart. He's worried about what's coming out, what people are hearing in your life, what are coming out of your mouth. And like I said, if you spend any time with a person, you can tell how that person is by the way they speak, the things that come out. And that's, that's how we see people so many times. Our speech reveals everything about our heart. So many times a person's testimony is ruined by what they say. There's only so much that we can put on the show for people, but eventually our heart will be revealed by the way we speak. You see, the Lord is not concerned about the outward appearance, but he's concerned with the heart. You see, as I think of us as one, as I think of the body of Christ, there are so many things where our mouths get ourselves in trouble. You say things to people. You offend people. You hurt people by the things that you say. You know, as I think of Scripture, as I look at the New Testament, there are so many things that we need to understand what the Bible tells us that we must do as a body of Christ. You know, and, and just I want to read a couple of them. And, and I'm sure you've heard them before, the one another's of the Bible. And with this, I will close. As we think of Romans 12, 10, it says, be devoted to one another. Romans, Romans 12, 10 also says, honor one another. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Romans 13, 8, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, 12, 4, 9. You know, it goes on. I want you to think of these for a second because if this was what the church was today, we would have no problems. We would be unified. We would be one. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Galatians 5.13. Galatians 6.2. Bear with one another. Boy, that's a good one, eh? We've got to bear with one another because I'm probably a person that's hard to bear with. My wife could probably tell you that, but it's hard to bear with some people sometimes. But as believers in Christ, we must work together for the glory of God no matter what. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. Encourage one another again, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Confess to one another. This is a hard one. Confess to each other sins and problems that we could help each other, pray for each other. You know, what happens a lot of times we confess is, I got a prayer request to tell everybody, and you know, that's where the gossip and slander starts. James 5.16 also says, pray for one another. 
Offer hospitality to one another. When's the last time you had someone in your home? When's the last time that you sat and talked to somebody? You know, how do we show these? How, what do we do? Well, we must follow the word of God. We must let this word in our hearts, let this dwell in us, and this is what comes out. Ephesians 4.29, this is such a, a strong verse for us to think about as we think of our mouths, and it says this, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupt talk. Let nothing, and some, some translations say unwholesome talk. Let nothing come out of your mouth that's going to hurt somebody. Wow. Strong words. Because, you know, for a lot of us, we don't have nothing good to say. All that comes out of our mouth is filth. All that comes out of our mouth is discouraging words. And that's why it's so important because we have to recognize again, if that's what's coming out of our mouths, we need to check our hearts. Because that reveals where our priorities, our position in worship truly is. Is it with God? Or is it just something that we do? And I like how it, it has that contrast. It says, it doesn't just tell you to let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good. Not for putting down, but for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So I asked you, Calvary Bible Church, what is your words revealing? How is your words revealing to us as the body of Christ? What are we doing as a church to glorify God? Are we being a church that edifies people? Or are we being a church that discourages people? You know, because this is what it's about. This is how the church is going to grow. We have to unify as one, but also to encourage one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, I pray this morning that, Father, that we would put away our traditions, put away those things. And, and Father, we know that not all traditions are bad. There are some traditions that are, are great, but that we won't put tradition above your word. That we remember that your word takes you know, precedence over everything. There's nothing that we can do to say, to even question your word, because your word is truth from start to finish. But Father, that we would be students of your word, that we would study your word, that we would allow your word, as, as it says in the psalm, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That we would hide your word. And if we hide your word in our hearts, Father, that's what will come out in our speech. People will know that we're different because we do have a general relationship with you. And Father, I just pray that you continue to be with our worship service, that you'll be on in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.